Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 15 through 20, in the New Testament section of our Red Bibles on page 186. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that, as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you have to say to us today. Amen. Ephesians 5, verse 15. Be careful how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of the time, because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To God be the glory that we could gather here today on a Sunday morning to to seek the Lord and to ask that our steps be ordered according to his word. That's just a beautiful song, and I love that song every time the choir uh, sings it. So to God be the glory. I want to begin by being very honest with you about some of the struggles my wife and I have had as parents and some of the challenges when we were more actively involved in parenting our children, especially when our children were teenagers, we had a difficult time figuring out how to help them respond internally to their conscience and to the voice of God speaking to them, and not just externally from societal or because of parental pressure. We didn't want them to be religious conformists. We didn't want them to have, and still don't want them to have, a form of godliness while denying the power of God by which they live. So when it came to their discipleship, their church attendance, their participation, their handling of money, and their overall decision-making, we felt, and we still feel the same way, that if they handled these affairs of their lives mostly based on the pressure from their parents, that in the long run, such a way of life would be unhealthy, it would not be sustainable, it would be dead, it would be pretty stagnant. We wanted them then and we want them now to live with godly wisdom. We wanted them then and we want them now to have an insatiable desire to please God. Not from fear, 
or again, not from parental pressure or peer pressure, but from a place of desire. And you'll hear me mention the word desire several times today. From a place of desire to please God in all things. Now, this principle, our struggle that we had as parents, is not just true in parenting. The same holds true for discipleship and for life with God for all of God's children, for all of God's children. Jesus, Jesus doesn't want us to just follow him out of slavish obligation. Jesus doesn't want us to follow him because we're afraid that we're going to go to hell. Jesus wants us, and I want to use the language of Ephesians because it's all over the book, to live or to walk. The word there is peripateo. You know, when you talk about being peripatetic, it has to do with walking. Jesus wants us to live or to walk with him, to follow him out of gratitude and out of love, out of desire. And so before we come to the communion table, I'd like to help us think about this question. And the question is, how do we live? How do you and I live in a world that is filled with temptations, filled with distractions, filled with idols, filled with disorder? And that's a very important word that Augustine uses. He talks about a disordered love. Yes, we know how to love, but our love is disordered. How do we live in a world like that and still experience sincere love and devotion to God? And I'd like to suggest to you that Ephesians, especially this reading, gives us the secret, the secret to living life as worship before God. Now, Great, great passage in the Bible for this kind of life. And we go all the way back to Deuteronomy. All the way back to Deuteronomy. God has been saying this from the beginning. You could go all the way back to the garden. and God is still saying it today. All the way to the book of Revelation, God is still saying something like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Some translations say the Lord is one. You all shall love the Lord your God. Notice the dimensions of loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And the question is, how do we do that from within and not just do it out of slavish obligation? How do we show up each and every day with desire for God and not because we're guilted into doing it. How do we love God intrinsically from the heart? And I'd like to suggest to you, first of all, that the secret starts with God. God tells us to love him because he first loved us. And I could use the words of uh, John 3.16 again, words that you all know so well. And I'm just here to remind you, for God so loved the world that God gave. There is the action. There is the love of God at work. God gave his only begotten son, and whoever believes in him will not perish. And this is it. We'll have everlasting life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through his son would be saved. And so our response to the call in Deuteronomy to love God is only possible because God first loved us. His life is our life. He gives us eternal life, and through his eternal life, then, we have the desire 
to return sincere love and devotion to God. So here's what's beautiful about this, and here's why this is so important. Knowing and loving God in this way transforms how we live. Can I say that again? Knowing and loving God in this way will transform the way we live. I think this is what, this is what Paul is calling for in these closing sections of the book of Ephesians. If you go back to chapter 4, verse 17, all the way through to the end of the book, Paul is calling us, and he's really saying, and he says this over and over again, he says it in Romans and in other places, in view of the great mercy of God shown to sinners like us, the response is total devotion, total gratitude to Jesus Christ. His sacrifice spurs us to make sacrifice, to give our lives as a living sacrifice. His surrender moves us to surrender our lives to him. And we know that God is real. And some of us are Christians, but we really don't know. We haven't encountered, we haven't experienced the reality of God. And, and we know that God is real. We know that God is working in our lives when we, when we find ourselves genuinely confessing Christ is all I need. He's more than enough. We're no longer fearful. We no longer worry about the opinions of men and women and people. We no longer be worrying about being out of step with the rest of society. We're no longer anxious about our tomorrows. No fear in life, no fear in death. Jesus is enough. He satisfies all of my needs. We know that God is real, my brothers and sisters, when we can make that confession, Jesus is enough. Instead of being trapped by the agenda of this life, we imitate God in everything we do because we know, we know, we know, we know that we're God's dear children. So how do we, how do we get to that place where we can confess with total abandon, Jesus is all I need. He's enough. How do we get to that place of freedom? And that's what I want to help us just come to terms with before we come to this table. And I want to suggest three possibilities that will help us to do that. One is, is be spiritually alert, to be spiritually alert. If you have your Bibles open, look at these two words that you see in Ephesians 5 and verse 15. I had to study that a little bit because when I was reading my Greek text, the word be isn't listed there. The word listed there is the word, is a word that means see, see, or look. Be careful, look carefully, watch carefully, be aware. And then the second word, there is the word careful, the adverb careful. It literally means precision, thoughtful. And when you put it all together, what Paul is saying to us as believers who want to find contentment in God, he is saying to the church in Ephesus, look attentively, be deliberate, pay attention to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise people. And I want you to know that many of you are already doing that. You're doing that in the area of your finances. You are not being unwise. You are being wise with your money. You're watching how you spend 
you are investing wisely. Some of you read the Wall Street Journal and other investment homes weekly. You're careful with your credit card debt. You, you consider the short and the long-term investments, and you even have a rainy day fund that if the roof caved in, you've got some extra money in the bank to cover those contingencies, and that's a good thing. Please hear me, that's a good thing. But that's not the only thing. You are wise in your money. And we call these people money wise. But I'm wondering if we could take that same kind of attention to detail with our money and apply it to how we live before God. To live as an unwise person then is to waste our time on things that in the end will not matter. Wasting time on things that undermine life with God and with others and what God wants us to be doing in the world. The Bible calls such a person a fool. So why is spiritual alertness so important? Why do we need to be awake? Because the days are evil. And we have only one life to live. And that terrorizes some of us and that excites some of us and that leaves some of us bored. But for me, that excites me. I have one solitary life to live. What am I doing with that life? Because I know that a time will come when my time will be spent, your time will be spent, and we will never be able to recover that time again. And so we need to get down to the basics. We need to get down to what is fundamental, and that's what it means to be wise. And I go to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. This is not in the Bible, but it, is, it, it, it drips with biblical wisdom. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what is the chief end of man or woman or people? What is the chief end? And our chief end is to glorify God and it's to enjoy God forever. That if we want to live our best life, then we must hold up these twin pursuits that my number one purpose in life is not to get married. My number one purpose in life is not to get that big house or that corner office or that promotion. My number one purpose in life is to enjoy God and to glorify God in everything that I do. So we got to be spiritually alert and aware. The second thing I would encourage you to do is to identify the true source of satisfaction. And the examples that Paul gives in the text are some pretty real examples. I mean, this is a real example in the home that I grew up in. Do not get drunk with rum, with wine, with intoxicants, with methamphetamines. Don't get drunk. Don't allow anything to so control your life that it gives you temporary satisfaction. And so, yes, I know people in my family background who found great satisfaction in alcohol, but it was fool's gold because it never, ever fully satisfied what they needed. They kept coming back, and their lives, the word Paul uses there is the word debauchery, and it means wasting, excess. Alcohol is not the only thing, though, that provides false satisfaction. Some of us become drunk on many things that lead to the same kind of indulgence. We get drunk on many things that we prioritize. And instead, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. 
be saturated with the life of God and the presence of God. I go back to Augustine again, and he says these beautiful words. He says that the epicenter, the epicenter of ultimate human satisfaction comes, he says. And he writes about this in his confessions. He says, you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're walking with the life of God, when heaven has come to earth in your life, you will not need any false means of satisfaction. Jesus will be enough, and you will begin living your life as an act of worship before God. The last thing I would encourage you to do is to commit to a lifestyle of worship before God. Let me tell you why this is important, because I hope you will admit to this, that we all are worshipers, I, I love sports. You know how much I love sports. I, I sometimes wish I could stay perpetually young. Wouldn't that be great? So I could continue to play basketball. But we all worship something or someone. And the reason why we do that is because we were made to worship. I don't care where you go in the world, what culture you analyze, you're going to find within that culture an attempt to worship something. See, God made us that way. Our vocation is to, is to transform everything we do in praise and worship to God. So life is worship, and worship is life. How do we do this? A friend of mine asked me not long ago, he said, Pastor Ray, what's the, what's the big idea of the Christian life? He wanted to know, like, the, the overarching, the ultimate, the most important thing to do in the, in the Christian life. And I went back to something that I shared with you guys, I think it was a couple years ago. And I know you remember my sermons from a couple years ago. See, you do. I went back to a Latin term that I, that I shared with you all. And it helps me. The reason why I share it with a lot of people, it's because it helps me. I said to him that the big idea of the Christian life is what I call Coram Deo. Coram Deo, for me, captures the essence of the Christian life. The phrase literally means, it literally refers to something that takes place in the presence of, or literally it means before the face of God. To live Coram Deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God under the authority of God, so as to bring all glory to God. To live in the presence of God is to understand that whatever we're doing and wherever we're doing it, we are still under the gaze, the loving gaze of God. I believe, and I hope you believe, that God is not localized in a building. That was the problem that the woman had as she stayed up in Samaria and argued with Jesus about where real worship is to take place. And Jesus said, woman, a day is coming when true worshipers will not worship on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, or worship on that mountain over in Jerusalem, but the true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. And what that means is Sunday is not big enough to bring to the surface the kind of worship that God is asking you to be involved in. And if, if the only time you worship is when you come on a Sunday morning, my brothers and sisters, you are an impoverished worshiper because God is 
bigger than what we do at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. And so I talk about quorum Deo, before the face of God, in the presence of God, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, whoever I am with, I remember that I'm in the audience of God. And that's what I want for our children, my children, and all of God's children to understand because that drives devotion and love for God. And so there is no place that we can escape the presence of God. To live Coram Deo means that worship is bigger than an event on Sunday morning. To live Coram Deo is to remember that worship is a lifestyle. Worship is not an event. And notice how Paul describes it here. He says, regularly singing hymns and singing psalms and singing spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. And you can know the worshipers. They have a smile on their face because they've been singing and worshiping God all week, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This kind of worship, my brothers and sisters, is bigger than Sunday at 10 a.m. So let me share with you four things I try to do every single day that God gives me breath. And this is the fuel that drives my walk with God every day. Every day, I want to spend time in prayer with God. Every day, I want to make sure that my eyes see the scriptures and I read them because it's there that I hear the voice of God. That's wisdom. Every day. I want to worship God, and I say, God, let my life be an expression of worship to you as I'm driving into the church, when I'm leading a meeting, when I'm at home, when I'm whatever I'm doing, I acknowledge that, God, you're here, you're here. May my life be an expression of you. And so what I do, what we do, we don't do it because people are watching us. That's not worship. We're doing it because God is watching us. And then the last thing I try to do every single day, I try to find something to be thankful for and to express gratitude. And that's what Paul says, giving thanks to God the Father at all times for everything. We complain too much. We find fault too easily. We're too easily discouraged by things not working out. And we grumble and we moan and we complain instead of recognizing that, God, you're bigger than this disappointment. And I want to thank you even for this disappointment. I thank you that you are present and active in my life. I want to close with a quick story and then we'll go to the communion table. I read about a bishop from England, Anglican bishop by the name of Sandy Miller, who came to the United States for a conference. And when he came to that conference, he saw the movement of the Holy Spirit amongst the conferees in such a way that he had never seen in all of his years as a bishop in the Anglican church. And so when the conference was on the verge of ending, Bishop Miller went out for a walk along the beach. He was in California. 
and he was praying and pouring out his heart to God and he was confessing to God and he said, God, anything. You know that song we were just singing, if you, if you say go, we'll go. He was kind of praying those prayers. He said, God, anything, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, God, I am yours. I, I, I give you my life. And he was going on and on. He said, God, what do you want me to do? And he said, you know, God, I don't hear the voice of God very often in my life. He said, maybe only four times. And he said, it was on that occasion I heard God speak to me. He said, God said to me, all I want is you. That's all I want, Sandy. All I want is you. I don't care about you being bishop. I don't care about all the people who make up your parish and the churches and the priests. Sandy, all I want it's you. And if there's anything that I tend to be ashamed of and I worried about my children and I, I didn't want my kids to grow up just having this proximity to religion and not knowing God, growing up in a pastor's home, I didn't want that to happen. And I begged God, I begged God, I begged, I said, God, give my children a heart for you because that's how life is to be lived in the world. And that's where ministry comes from. That's where the church gets its direction from. That's where life comes from. When the church gives itself over to God and say, God, we just want you. Desire. God said, I will show up in your life. Bishop Sandy Miller wrote a book called All I Want Is You. All I Want Is You. And that is the secret to living life as worship. I want to pray a prayer for us. And it's a prayer for me, and it's a prayer for the families that are at family camp, and it's a prayer for all the little boys and little girls of our church and all the big kids of our church. It's a prayer for all of us. Would you pray with me? And then we'll, we'll go to communion. Lord God, there is, there is nothing more that we want than you. We want to approve what you find worthy. We want to value what is most valuable. We want to, pres to, to treasure what you have deemed precious and beautiful. God, we want to hate what you hate. We want to despise the evil and abhor the evil and the ugliness that you despise, what you call ugly. Lord, we consider ourselves recipients of your grace. And we consider ourselves alive in you. And so, God, we ask that you would set us free from dead religion, set us free from all that is external all that we control, and that you would renew us, God, awaken within every one of us spiritual capacities so that we will want you. Grant us this desire to find your will and to do what pleases you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, amen.